0: Forest City Church, anyone and everyone. So in that spirit of togetherness, in that spirit of life together, I'm going to talk about something today um, that I think is critical, it's crucial if we want to do this well or even at all, and that is this idea of unity. And when I think about unity and when I look at Acts 4, the text that we're going to be in today, I could not help but think about one of my favorite movies of all time. It's called Drumline. Has anyone seen Drumline in the house? Oh, a lot more hands than I expected. Amen. You guys, I love this movie. It has the, the all-star, like the infamous Nick Cannon. And I have to tell you, if you know anything about me, um, there's like two claims to fame in my life, two things I really take pride in. One of them is that, remember, the Titans was filmed at my high school. And if, if you've ever heard me teach, you've heard me at least talk about it once. That's right. Denzel Washington walked the halls of my high school. It's a beautiful thing. And the other is that drumline, this movie was shot right down the street from my parents' crib. So when I go home, best believe, I will take a little lap at Clark Atlanta University and I will feel like I'm at Atlanta A&T all over again. Listen, I'm also infamous, maybe it's my toxic trait, is that I will ruin a movie or a song or a show before you get to watch it my friends, my my friends can testify. So I'm not going to ruin it, but I do want to give a little backdrop. Drumline is the story of a college freshman at a historically black college and university called Atlanta A&T. It's fictional. I wish it wasn't because I'd go back in time and be like, Lord, just let me, let me get in the marching band really quick. But This is the story of Devin Miles, a freshman who's like a star drummer, and he shows up on the scene at this school, and he has to learn a little bit about what it means to go from being a solo musician to being a part of a team. So can we roll that clip and see what this is like for him? Good morning. Good morning to music, good morning and welcome to Atlanta a A&T and University marching band training. The next two weeks will be your introduction and possibly induction into a great marching band legacy. If you're here, it's because you believe in musicianship. If you're here it's because you believe in Coltrane, Miles Davis, Stevie Wonder and the elements known as Earth, Wind and Fire. If you are here, it is because you have a fervent unequivocal belief, and teamwork. And if you wish to remain here, you better start believing in being on time. You. Who is your roommate? Uh, Devin, uh, Miles, sir. Eyes front. What's up, Dr. Lee? It's all good, Mr. Miles. Glad to have you here. Thank you, sir. Why was he late? I guess he overslept. Well, why didn't you wake him? I'm not his mother, sir. I asked Mr. Miles why his roommate was late. He says he guesses he overslept. I ask, why didn't you wake him? And he says he is not his mother. Section leaders, what is our concept? One band, one sound. One band, one sound. When one of us is late, we are all late. When one of us looks or sounds bad, we all look and sound bad. So what's the concept? One band, one one sound. Now, I want 10 laps from all those who are not their roommate's mama don't whine and while you're jogging around the field let the robust composition of the saints come off the end blow through your mind i really like that we just saw a clip from drumline in church amen can y'all indulge me in something can you just say one band one sound, one band, one sound. oh one more time you sound good one band one sound. one band one sound it's giving unity you know what i'm saying So if you were to continue to watch the movie, you'd see that Mr. Devin Miles, just like you could see when everyone else is wearing white, he said, I'm going to show up in a black t-shirt today because I don't really care all that much. See, Devin put a lot of his stake in his uniqueness. He was easily the most gifted musician in the squad. He couldn't read a lick of music. He was not classically trained like his counterparts, but he could play circles around everybody. And you find when you watch the movie that Devin, under the instruction of Dr. Lee, had to understand, if I want to be a part of this unit, if I want to fall in line with this team, it's way less about me standing out now. If I want to come under this mission, if I want to win Battle of the Bands this year, I have to be one of many. See, Devin was under the impression that his uniqueness mattered more than anything else. And I wonder if the American church has a very similar problem today. I wonder if we push for uniqueness in the same way that Devin did. Have you noticed here in the West how there's like a race to be the most unique church? Have you noticed how many churches here in America put all of their stake in what makes them stand out? We're fixated on it. We say, you should come to my church because we're the multi-ethnic church. You should come to my house of worship because we have the best worship team you'll ever hear. You should be a part of my community because you're going to get lunch every week. I mean, the list goes on and on and on about the reasons why we, we exalt our communities and our expressions and our houses of worship above another. And I do think, friends, that there's a place to celebrate what makes us unique. I think it's necessary that we celebrate what, what makes us maybe stand out. But here's the conviction that I have when I pay attention to the early church. It's that being unique is not as important as becoming unified, I want to say that again. Being unique is not as important as becoming unified. And maybe the uniqueness that you and I seek can only be found in the unity that we pursue. Can we pray together for just a moment? Father, we love you. And we remember Your desire reflected in the Trinity that we would be one. You prayed it. Would we be one as you are one? So we're asking you today to open our eyes, open our hearts, open our spirits that we might come under your instruction, under your wisdom, under your power, under your presence, under your teaching, and be the people that you dreamt of before the world began. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Can we go to the text together? Would you open up to Acts 4 with me? I love the sound of pages turning, and I think heaven loves it too. Maybe, maybe give me a thumbs up when you get there. Acts 4, we're going to start at verse 23. If you need some help, Acts is after John. I could give you a page number, but that's not going to help you all. So Acts chapter four, verse 23, Sharman last week, whew, it felt way too soon to say his name out loud on the stage. Sharman last week taught about Peter and John getting arrested and about the persecution that they faced, the scrutiny that they were under from the religious folks of their time. And eventually they, they get set free. They get released from prison. And, and they, the first thing that they do is they go find their community. The first thing that they do, verse 23, Acts 4, verse 23, says that after Peter and John were released, they returned to their people. They told them everything that the chief priests and elders had said to them, and when the people heard it, they raised their voices to God. What I love about this is in the face of persecution, in the face of the worst maybe imaginable as they're trying to proclaim the gospels, that they go to their community, and the first thing their community does is pray and worship. That's their response to their brothers in their time of affliction. And I want to fast forward to verse 31, Acts 4, verse 31 says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were meeting together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness and courage. When they prayed, the place where they met was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This reminds me, does it not take you back to Acts 2? Again, we see God's hand, his blessing on a group of people who come together and lift up his name with one voice. And it causes me to ask myself, what is it about the unity on display here in Acts, here in the early church, that is so attractive to the Lord? What is it about the unity here in the text that, that, that is like a magnet for his presence and his power? What was it about their unity that led him to shake their walls and pour out his spirit on every single person? It says, first of all, in verse 32, oh, we didn't get there yet, guys. Let's go there. All right, verse 32. It says, now, after the shaking, after the Holy Spirit, the company of believers was of one heart and soul, And not one claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but everything was common property and for the use of all. That's the thunder of heaven right there. I receive it. And with great ability and power, the apostles were continuously testifying to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace rested upon them all. There was not a needy person among them because those who owned land or homes were selling them and bringing the proceeds of the sales and placing the money down at the apostles' feet. When we look at this unity, this shaking, this rumbling that the Holy Spirit descended on this community, the first thing that was true was that everyone was a believer in other words, every single person in their fellowship, every person in their community called themselves not a church goer, but a believer. Every single person had fully yielded themselves to the lordship of Christ and decided as for me and my house and my marriage in my family in my possessions, it all belongs to him. And next he tells us that this community of believers had one heart and one soul. You know where I'm going with it. Say one heart, one soul. One heart, one soul. Y'all knew I was going to bring that thing back around, didn't you? So what does it mean to have one heart? It means that at the center of our emotions, at the center of our affection, at the very core of our lives, it was true for this church that they were absolutely taken with who Jesus was. Every single person, one commentator put it this way, that they were all moved by one impulse, by one great love. And that love was not success or ambition or any other worthless pursuit. Their one great love was just Jesus. And to have one soul meant that now because of what he did, because he died and rose, that every single person was living in Christ. So now they were one new creation. The old had gone, the new had come. So what that tells me for a city is that if we want unity here, if we want unity in our midst, it is essential that we have upward agreement about who Jesus is. Every single person here and not, I'm not just talking about theology. We have to have a corporate agreement that as for me, every single person in every single section of every single row says, I have given him my full heart, all of my affection, all of my love, all of my attention, all of my energy. What if that was true for all of us? Not one person left out, not one. Dr. Tony Evans said it this way, that unity is not sameness of persons, but oneness of purpose. We're going to be our own people. We're going to have our differences. But when it comes to the main thing, the one thing, what if we were all on the same page? I look at our worship team, for example. Carrington and I talked about this the other day. We have differences there are ways that we would maybe do things or approach things or how they would flesh out, but our, di- our differences have never not once disrupted his presence moving in and among us, ever. I remember in Acts 2, it said that among them, when, when the upper room encounter happened and everyone spoke in tongues in different languages and, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost for the first time, it said among them were Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and visitors of Rome. And it says that every single person, every single people group represented, they all spoke about the mighty works of the Lord. So, what if it could be said of us at Four City Church that among them were black folks and white folks and married folks and divorced folks and single dads and single moms and 90 year olds and teenagers and Gen Zers and baby boomers and just like here in Acts 4? But when they got together, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness and courage. Not one person left out. How do we get there? How do we get there? I think it begins of every single person in this room taking individual ownership of their own walk with the Lord. What if every single one of us decided that our pursuit of God's presence was about to go to a whole other level? What could happen? In Psalm 133, it says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like oil on the head, running down the beard of Aaron, running down the collar of his robes. And it says that when people come together in unity, there's a commanded blessing, It's written that when we come together, if we can get on one accord about who Jesus is and what he's asking us to do individually in each of our lives, there's a collective, promised, guaranteed blessing. And do you want that blessing? If you're married in this room and, and you're experiencing disunity, I wonder if step one is getting on the same page about Jesus. I wonder if the first thing that could maybe shift everything in your home, in your covenant, in your union is to decide that you're going to pursue the things of God in a way that you never have together. I wonder what it could change for you. If you're experiencing unity, maybe in your friendships or relationships right now, especially if you're a teenager in this room, can I tell you that when I was 16 and I met Jesus and my friends met him too, that everything about our relationships changed after that. There was a, a blessing, a presence, an awareness, a way that God moved among me and my sister and our friends when we said, We're going to go for this together. Nobody gets left behind. Like Lilo and Stitch, remember? Nobody gets left behind. The next thing that distinguishes community in Acts 4, it says in verse 33, let's look at that again. It says with great ability and power the apostles were continuously testifying to the resurrection of Jesus and great grace came upon them all. See Peter and John and the disciples and the 3 to 5000 men and women that joined the early church. They had seen Jesus with their very own eyes nailed to a cross beaten, battered, bruised, flagged, murdered. They saw his body wrapped and carried away and laid in a tomb. And then they saw the tomb sealed. And then three days later, just as he said he, he would, they saw him with their very own eyes get up out of the grave and walk and talk among them full of power and full of authority. And then they experienced the very same power that got him up, raising them up out of their graves too and freeing them fully and completely from a life of sin. They saw him, they testified to him and they agreed together. We have to tell everyone we know about what we've seen. This was This unity, this foundational unity that came, it came from their corporate agreement that Jesus rose and now we can and will and are rising up too. So what does this mean for us four city? It means that if we want unity, we have to have corporate agreement that not only will we believe who Jesus says he is and pursue him, we'll testify to who he is. What if every single one of us was filled with the spirit like the early church in such a way that we receive boldness and power from on high to begin to tell other people, to mutter, to share, you have to know what he's done. You have to know who he is and that none of us considered it optional to go there. See, this is where the enemy will try to come in and use our uniqueness against him because you'll hear that and you'll think, I don't need to testify. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. I'm an introvert. That's not that goes against my personality type. I open the Bible and I don't even understand it. I don't even know what Lauren's talking about right now. Why do I need to testify to anything? Why do I need to speak to anything? Why do I need to be a bold and powerful witness to anything? And that is, is latching onto our uniqueness. And if any one of us decides that our makeup, that our differences can detach us from the corporate decision to go together into God's presence, then you are participating and forsaking the unity that's promised. Let me say it another way. If one person doesn't go, we can't say that we're going together. And when I sat in this room, it's such a gift to be able to sit in the room and actually hear all of our voices together, on one accord, in worship. Because we get glimpses of it up here, but it's so different being here. And I had to walk to the back of the room because I was like, "Lord, I want to I hear I want to hear it from the back to the front. I want to I hear it all." And it brought me to tears because I realized the Lord is ready to do something that eyes have not seen and ears have not heard in our midst. He's ready. He's ready and he's waiting. We just have to decide if we're all in or not. Because we can talk about life together and we can blow it up on these big posters and we can paste it around the building. It's not worth anything if we don't actually all pursue it. And it starts with a corporate agreement, an upward agreement, a corporate conviction that we're gonna pursue him with absolutely everything we have. Everybody goes, no one left out. Their unity, their oneness that they experienced in the early church, it was it was the reason that they experienced the hand of God, the blessing of God, and it was also the result of his blessing upon them. So there was something that happened as they came together that God blessed, and as a result of his blessing, they became more and more and more unified. We have to pursue him individually so we can, so we can pursue him collectively. We have to agree about who he is. I remember what Paul said in Philippians three, he said, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness that comes with God on the basis of faith, but I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus laid hold of me. My friends, today I want to tell you there's so much more for us as Four City Church to lay hold of. But our pursuit of him has to go to a whole nother level. We have to begin to testify to who he is because if you'll be bold about Jesus, you'll be bold about the spirit that Jesus said would come. And if you're going to be bold about the spirit, then you'll pursue the spirit. And that's when we really get to have one heart and one mind. Can you say one heart, one mind? One heart, one mind. And when we have one heart and one mind, when we agree about who Jesus is and and what he said he would do and how we're going to live our lives, that's how we get to verse 33 where it says, with great ability and power, they continued to testify to the resurrection and grace rested upon them all. And then in verse 34, there was not a needy person among them because those who owned land or houses began to sell them and place their money down at the apostles' feet. Just imagine if there was such a unity among us. If the spirit worked so deeply in all of us that we really got so attached to God's presence and fell so in love with each other, with God's people, that we were willing to give up anything just to make sure each other's needs were met. Like we were that unified, that connected to each other. It would get crazy here. Here's what I think would happen. I think that we'd show up on a Sunday and you'd see Parker here with trash bags full of every pair of Jordans that he owns and he would just pour them out at the altar. And I think he would come up and I think he would say, I don't care if you're a size one or an 11, come one, come all, this is for you. I think that Kenny Johns, uh, Kenny, are you here today? I think that he would show up in every Disney shirt that he owns And I think he would just lay him down at the feet of the apostles, lay him down at every teacher and say, hey, come one, come all. I think Heather Sandlin would show up with a loaf of her handmade bread. If you've never had it, she's sitting right here on row four to the very right. I think she'd have one for every family in the house. And if you haven't had it, you need to have it. I think, (laughs) I think Carrington would show up with a royalty check, man, and he would say, hey, Whether it's five dollars or fifty dollars, I'm splitting this thing up. I just I just saw his face in the back, so I just I'm sorry it made me crack. (laughs) But if we were so unified, the spirit was working among us in such a way that we didn't only sit next to each other, but we bore one another's burdens. We were consumed, obsessed, fixated on each other's needs on making space and room for the power of the Spirit to work in and through us, I think anything can happen. Because generosity for the sake of generosity is not enough, my friends. The Acts 4 community experienced a resurrection power generosity. And if we're giving of ourselves and our lives and our hearts and our homes and opening our tables because we're so consumed with who he is and what he did. That's sustainable generosity. It's more than writing a check. It's giving everything for the sake of the one who already gave everything for us. So if we can agree that Jesus died, and he rose. If we can get unified, that we're going to pursue him with everything that we have, that we're going to be filled with the spirit, that we're going to receive power and boldness to testify to who he is. That's where unity is going to happen for us. So can I ask you in this moment, what's one step in your life you can take for pursuing Jesus? What's one step you can take in your life? toward more of the spirit working in and through you. And, And can I just give you maybe a teaser, a spoiler alert? It's not about writing a list of stuff you're gonna go do better. That's actually not the gospel. The gospel isn't go do more that you'd be more like him. It's receiving the free gift that's already been given. It's opening up your heart and your mind and your life and your time to receive what's already true that you didn't earn, that you didn't work for, that just belongs to you because he wanted it to. So when I say what's one step you can take, yes, he works in, in our habits and our routines, changing and shifting, but he wants your heart He wants your availability. He wants your yes. He wants your open hands. He doesn't just want you to do a quiet time so you can check it off your list. He doesn't just want you to say, oh, okay, I'll go to church four times instead of two. He wants this. So what's a way that you can begin to open up your heart and your mind and your life and say, God, I want more of you. I want to receive what's been given. I want to receive the spirit that's available for me right here and now what's one way that you can do that? Maybe you spend this week asking him. And I wonder what's a way that you can do it in community. I wonder if, if there's a friend or maybe it's your spouse or maybe it's someone sitting next to you. I wonder how you can pursue unity in the, your pursuit of Jesus. Just one step farther. I want to invite us right now as a house in this room I wanna invite us to take one step toward unity. And the easiest way to do that, the easiest way to have corporate, upward agreement about who Jesus is, the easiest way to testify with our lives and our mouths and our actions to the power of the resurrection, to the truth and the implications of the resurrection, the easiest way that we can all do that together is to take communion. Because when we decide to dine to gather around him who was crucified, who died and was buried and who rose again, we're all in one accord, are we not? So I want to do something. Would you mind just turning toward maybe there's two or three people next to you? Would you just kind of lean in? And we're going to take communion together. If, if you see somebody sitting alone, you better scooch on in. has got somebody. If you see anybody alone, don't make me call you out. Everybody's sitting next to somebody. I see a couple who are not. Just scoot on over. Just scoot on over a couple seats. Yes. Yes, Janine. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. In John 17, Jesus is in the garden, sweating blood. And his prayer in that moment. He said, Father, I've given to them the glory and honor which you've given me, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected and completed into one so that the world may know that you sent me and you love them just as you loved me. How beautiful is it that in the hour of his death that this is what Jesus prayed for us, that we would be one. Oh, can, can somebody run me a cup? I just realized I don't have one. No, oh, thank you. Unity right there. Community right there. So they gathered, the disciples would have gathered around a table. And in a spirit and an effort to remember the one who gave everything for them, he would have said, this is my body. Take it and eat it. broken for you, my body given for you, and then Jesus would have said, this is my blood of the new covenant, take it and drink it. family I believe now more than ever I said it this morning I'll say it again that we are living in the glory days as a church and I believe that the Lord is ready to pour out his spirit he's ready to encounter us in ways that we've never been encountered he's ready to reveal himself in ways that we've never seen him revealed he is ready to have all of us he's ready to take us into the depths of who he is and what he's like that we would be healed and restored and our marriages would come together and our families would be saved and our kids would come to know him are you ready for jesus to be revealed among us in ways that he never has are you hungry for jesus to be revealed among us in ways he never has Are you desperate for God to do something here that we've only read about to finally see it, to lay hold of it and behold it? Are you ready for that? So what would it look like if we gave everything individually? That when we came together collectively, we began to see him pour out his spirit beyond measure. Would you stand with me today? do something. Would you grab the hand of the person next to you? And if you're on the way out section, scoot it all the way in toward the middle. All the way in. Cross aisles. Grab somebody's hand. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, come on in, left side. Bring it on in. Bring it on in. An unbroken chain, an unbroken link. Yes. I'm going to get in here. I'm going to get in between. Come here, I got you. You might have to take my, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, family, this is beautiful. This is the connectedness that is available to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Every single one going forward together, every single one pursuing him, every single one falling more in love with him and each other. And we're going to watch everyone's needs be met. We're going to watch families be restored. We're going to watch everything that Jesus dreamt for us happen. Are you ready for that? Are you committing to that? Are you saying yes to that? I feel like I'm doing a wedding ceremony right now. All right, so here's what I want us to do. Just repeat after me, one heart, one soul, one heart, one soul, we go upward, we pursue his presence. Every single one of us, not one left behind. Father, okay, well, I'm going to pray now. You don't have to repeat all of this. It's going to little crazy. <laughs> Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this house. God, I thank you for every one, every heart that you created, that you formed, that you fashioned in this room under the sound of my voice. And God, I pray that you would shake the ground beneath us. I pray that you would shake the walls that have hedged us in with a move of your spirit. Lord, I'm asking that the power of the Holy Ghost would be upon us, that the commanded blessing attached to our unity would be our portion. God, that we would not only link hands for a moment, that we would not only link arms for a demonstration, but the God that this would be symbolic of a step I feel the Lord that we take in the spirit right now toward you toward your kingdom toward your presence toward your power toward your anointing toward what's next and we say as for this house as for Forest City Church we will not lean we will not put our trust in being unique but we will give everything to be unified to be one to be a body to be a family that cares for each other that covers each other that loves each other that goes for your presence and your goodness and your glory with everything we have we say yes we say yes can you just say yes right now we say yes we say yes to whatever you have however you have it however you want to do it we say yes we pursue you together and we know that the commanded blessing that comes with our unity will be like oil dripping from our heads how good and sweet and pleasant is it to you and will it be to us as we become one we love you we honor you it's in your precious and perfect and matchless name Jesus that we pray and your church says together amen give it up family wait don't leave yet don't leave yet I just I just want to see what it looked like from up here it's beautiful love all of you so much hey we're going to take one step this week toward pursuing his presence, towards going for the spirit. Amen. God bless you. May he keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. And I'll see you next week.